Good morning, everyone. Happy February on this Thursday, February 1st. Welcome to the Jennifer and Wendy Show. Good morning, Wendy. Hello. Connor McCarthy is here as well. Good morning, Connor. Good morning. And the Royal Banks of Missouri text line is open 84126. Please text us. We'd love to hear from you. As you may have seen in the news, the journalism industry suffered another round of crushing layoffs this week. We'll chat with Robert Thompson from Syracuse University about what that means. It's often said that journalism keeps democracy alive. And if we lose it, we lose democracy. We'll check in with him. Jay O'Brien will join us from ABC News at 1050. And then in our next hour, Ann Corey joins us from the Kitchen Conservatory. I know like a lot of you, I've taken classes there and she um, knows what she's doing. And I've often noticed they have classes in knife skills. (laughs) So perhaps we will check in with Anne about what she teaches and maybe there's some myths about cooking and kitchen safety that she has had the opportunity to debunk with her students. So we'll check in with Anne Corey at 1135. And you know we'd love to hear from you. Wendy, I've heard from people after I did a fine job of slicing up my hand that they've either done it themselves, as many people have, or some people have said to me, what's a mandolin? I thought it was a musical instrument <laughs> you're having too. a great hair day Ooh, oh it's so it christy brinkley <laughs> i'm not on pain medication i'm in pain <laughs> you are in pain you are but, in pain and if if any of you have um been in that kind of pain and we all have um you feel like you you just feel like there's no way out of it tylenol helps tylenol but are you taking any like tylenol with with coding nothing no that's what they said when yeah. i was in the in the urgent care i'm like can you give me some pain pills for this and they're like no we don't do that for this we suggest tylenol See, if i were a doctor i would have the dirty martini <laughs> clinic where if you're in pain and of course i'm joking but sort of um but that's just an awful awful as we said the other day when you have, there's just one little isolated part of your body <laughs> that for whatever reason is causing you pain, it sends that pain throughout your entire body. I have renewed empathy for people who live with chronic pain. You know, yes. you hear about it and then when you have a little bit about it, a little bit of pain, Yes, I think I'm a baby. There are people who live with chronic pain on a daily basis. How do they do it? Um, speaking of pains, you get this, you get the sense that, uh, this group of women written about by Lawrence Lemur turned into a miniseries on FX by Ryan Murphy, the Swans, the Truman Capote. We've been dying to hear what you thought about it because you did not watch it. You watched Oppenheimer. So we'll get to that in a minute. I did not watch Swans. Uh, McGraw did not watch it. So we're dying to hear what you thought. Were you maybe where your expect my expectations are really high. I mean, so I'll probably be disappointed. But if you watched it, we would love to talk to you. Eight four one two six. Let us know. Friend of the show, Pam Mahoney said she watched the first episode and she's still trying to figure out if she wants to stay with it or not. Oh, that's not good. So, yeah, that's not good. Mary Lynn says keep your hand above your heart when practical. It's funny you say that because I find myself doing it. Most of the time, uh, from the 314, Jennifer, today's National Change Your Password Day. Bloody good would be a great choice. Eek. Eek. <laughs> the thing I, I notice, I mean, this is no surprise. I love 
being in the kitchen. We just have a little kitchen. It's therapeutic for me. Right. Whether it's it's your happy. I don't place. even mind cleaning up. And Mark keeps saying, "Stay out of my kitchen. Stay out of my kitchen." Wow. <laughs> and Sunday when this happened, he took me to urgent care. He went to go pick up my friend Jean, and then he fixed the dinner. He's and a did a darn good job of He's it. He's a keeper. <laughs> he really is a keeper. Um, so we will wait for those of you who did see the swans to um, to let us know. Uh, another question that we, we have for you today, Jennifer found a terrific article, a story about people who are fessing up for past sins, like little white little lives, ones, little ones. Um, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, before I forget, because I always do, <laughs> okay. Ellen and Dar- uh, Daryl Ross, the adorable Ellen and, of course, Swash. From Curtain Exchange Swash and National Buckling. Transportation. Yes, yeah, swashbuckling Daryl Ross. They said to tell you hi. Oh. And they heard about your mishap. And uh, <laughs> Ellen said, well, what in the world? I, they said, is she, like, all bandaged? I said, no, that very important finger, that very important middle finger is about four times its normal size because of <laughs> the apparatus that is attached to it and her thumb. Um, but we had so much fun yesterday. Uh, we met for lunch at Lester's. And it was interesting because when we were talk, when Ellen and I were talking across the table, the men's eyes were like glazed over like a donut. Doug Lehman, our, our superior account exec that one of our many superior account exec when and then when daryl and doug were talking it was the same thing i told ellen i know i don't i can't follow anything that they're that they're saying to each other so but yeah she did say she did say hello um so yeah white lies and then a, a, a technical question when it comes to the the elections and the way you vote what are your percentages? What 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 do you decide? What is the decision maker? Like, is it 70% the man? Is it 30% the economy? Or not the man anymore, obviously. It's the candidate. Uh, or is it, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is it 80% economy, 20% um, uh, abortion? I mean, whatever it is. Uh, I think that might be really interesting, finding out why people vote. Or do you just have a personal affinity for a candidate? We would love to, six, yeah. love to hear from you, 84126. And Mike from Accounting might need to call in in our next hour. He says, oh, goodness, should we schedule an afternoon and talk about non-serious yet painful injuries? Maybe in our 11 o'clock hour, you'll have time to call in, Mike from Accounting, 314-931-5877, because we would like to hear. I was telling Wendy, you know, I miss being in the kitchen. It is indeed my happy place. And uh, so I might stop by Three Bay Barbecue and Bakery and pick up some food to go. If you're looking for a great meal, check them out. It's a locally owned restaurant inside the West County Phillips 66 station at Clayton Road and 141. For instance, they have a sirloin steak wrap with Swiss cheese and sriracha sauce, one side for twelve ninety nine. But they have so much delicious food, pulled pork, chicken or brisket, Philly cheesesteak sandwich, a Gigi burger. The dessert selection is out of this world. The owners are Rick and Carol Gross, and it was some years ago that they decided to turn the service bays into a fast casual restaurant. So you can stop by and eat Or you can call ahead, if you like, and pick it up, 636-227-1208. If you go online, 
3baybbqandbakery.com. You can join the rewards program, and you can look at the whole menu, and it is fantastic. If you stop by inside the West County Phillips 66 station at Clayton Road and 141, say hello to Rick and Carol and their happy, efficient staff, and please tell them Jennifer and Wendy sent you. It's 1020 at the Big 550 KTRS, the Jennifer and Wendy Show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you have heard us the last several days talking about layoffs in journalism from the L.A. Times to Sports Illustrated. Waves of those layoffs are impacting the fourth estate. And the fear is ultimately democracy itself. So we have turned once more to our dear friend, Robert Thompson. He is an American educator and media scholar, the trustee professor of television and popular culture at the S.I. Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University and the founding director of the Blyer Center for Television and popular culture. Uh, Professor Thompson, thank you so much for being with us. What what do you make of this? Is it time to sound the alarm? Are you concerned about the layoffs? Well, I think it's uh, long past uh, time to sound the alarm. I mean, we talk about how, uh, you know, all this stuff is going to mean eventually the not having a healthy uh, fourth estate, not having healthy journalism uh, is going to be bad for democracy. We are already well down that road. I mean, if we look at the state of our democracy right now uh, compared to uh, where it was uh, before, I'm certainly not saying all of that has to do with the uh, state of our journalism, but I think it's certainly part of uh, the calculus. You know, we talk about, and, and this has been, these last couple of weeks have been, uh, the, the word most often I see in the headline is bloodbath. Um, I mean, that L.A. Times 20 percent after uh, firing 13 percent uh, back in June, and then the list just goes on and on and on, all of the what we call legacy media. But uh, it's been many, many, many years since uh, uh, Syracuse, a, a city, medium-sized city. We used to have four newspapers, dailies at one point uh, uh, in history. We have not had a daily newspaper here for a long, long time. And what we have uh, uh, that gets put online is severely curtailed uh, by ways of staff and uh, reporters than it was uh, before. And I think we already do notice this. I am sure there's all kinds of people in this city getting away with all kinds of things that they wouldn't have when there were 10 times the number of reporters breathing down their neck and making them accountable for it. Well, Professor, many people in our listening audience feel that politicians and maybe people involved in wars um, have an unusual relationship with reality, a complicated relationship with reality. And <laughs> journalists were always truth tellers. But now I think that there are so many people who do not trust journalists. Well, I mean, th th that is true. And part of that is uh, because that has been pushed by people who do have a very different uh, idea of uh, reality. Now, I for, am not going to be an apologist for every single journalistic or pseudo-journalistic operation um, uh, out there. But there is a sense that I, I still think that uh, we have, uh, those that are left doing it, uh, a pretty healthy uh, uh, set of journalistic standards. And I think the operations that are uh, doing good journalism do just that. But but there is a constant drumbeat that 
anything because it appeared in, let's say, the New York Times should therefore, by definition, not be trusted. And that message seems to be uh, being heard. And then, of course, we hear stories of uh, things. I mean, way back uh, as far, well, much further back, but uh, uh, the whole thing that got Dan Rather into trouble. Mm. That was back in what seems like ye olden days. Um, (laughs) So there is. I mean, I think the big challenges are, number one, uh, revenue. Uh, subscriptions uh, uh, aren't uh, growing, and advertising is gr- uh, not growing. More and more places are struggling for advertising. And let's face it, in the United States, journalism is uh, needs to make money. It needs to uh, have a, uh, a revenue stream. Um, I think there's also a sense of subscription fatigue. You know, it used to be when you said a subscription in 1970, you meant a subscription to National Geographic and your daily newspaper. That's how we used the word subscription. Um, Now, of course, when we say subscription, we think of the 13 things that we're paying for just to watch television. Um, And I think that's complicated things. There is also this trust issue uh, uh, that you um, uh, that you talk about, and just a completely different way in which we consume information. And I think, quote unquote, legacy media is still trying to adapt to, to that, and in many ways, not very uh, successfully. That that sort of conflicted relationship between the consumer and then the the, the media. Um, when reporters talk about walking out, 500 reporters uh, lost their job in January alone. Um, it, there is a sense in some quarters that this is conspiratorial in nature, and we don't usually subscribe to anything like that. But just your your thoughts about it. Is it, you know, democracy dies in the darkness? So could there be a little bit of that at play here? So which conspiracy, a conspiracy against journalists or a conspiracy, which conspiracy of the many conspiracy theories out there, which one are we talking about? Just, the, the, you know, the one that without a, a free a fourth estate um, that you you do run the risk of of authoritarianism and the like. I mean, I do. I have very much, and I guess I have my, spent my entire career uh, speaking in a school of journalism. Uh, so I suppose that uh, puts me on a uh, certain side automatically. But I do believe, and I think there is plenty of historical evidence throughout the history uh, of civilization that a healthy press. Uh, uh, keeps other uh, um, uh, powers uh, in check, and that it is very, very difficult to operate a, especially a complex modern democracy without a uh, uh, without a healthy press. And I think as that press is being more and more challenged, uh, what thousands of newspapers have either merged or um, uh, gone under since 2005. Uh, and on the local level, which is so uh, um, so important, uh, we've got an even uh, bigger problem. Um, I do think the American experiment is. Uh, a long way down the road in its uh, highly challenged uh, position. Position, And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have a uh, press now that is having all kinds of, of challenges that we didn't see even 20 years ago. I mean, someone I was uh, looking at one of these big, long reports that uh, someone had did done, and they gave a really interesting uh, 
a bit of uh, information that in Denver, so I don't know, metropolitan readership of probably, what, 3 million or something like that. Back in 2009, there were uh, two uh, newspapers in Denver, and they employed about 600 people in their uh, reporting and uh, newsroom. Today, there's one, and uh, they employ about 59, which is 10% of what uh, we saw back in uh, uh, 09, according to this, uh, according to this report. And I know I talk to a lot of reporters on a very regular basis, and I know when I started talking to uh, reporters in the 1980s, they were in the arts beat, you know, covering television and film and books and all that kind of stuff, usually in a newsroom in many cases that had 10 people covering the, uh, you know, the arts and entertainment and stuff. Now some of those same reporters, most of whom are no longer employed, but those that are, are working now maybe at the same paper where the entire newsroom is the size of what their arts and entertainment uh, department used to be. And Professor Thompson, let's talk about this locally. I read that if we have these local news deserts, that voter participation drops. And of course, we do know that this toxic misinformation seeps into our daily life and polarizes people even more than they already are. But have you found that or I assume there may have been studies done where voter participation drops because there's no local reporting. Nobody's watching the store. Right. If there's no uh, local reporting, if nobody's getting uh, information, if you don't have a healthy, robust news uh, operation in your uh, local communities, not only does uh, voter participation go down again, according to studies, uh, but the um, uh, tendency for people to run for local office goes down. The whole idea that uh, that local politics is even even a thing uh, tends to be less on people's radar if it's not being reported as a thing uh, anywhere. And this is combined with, so uh, let's, let's say before the uh, Internet, you might have had news deserts, places, people that lived in communities that were just too small to support uh, journalistic operations to cover those communities. Um, now, you still have those situations of news deserts. We're getting larger and larger populations of uh, communities uh, that are also news deserts than they used to be. But... There's not a desert in most places, unless you can't get Internet there. Uh, there's not a desert for information in general. Local newspapers, uh, good journalism, all, all of that, we're seeing more and more challenged. But anyone with a, uh, uh, with a Wi-Fi connection, of course, can get information. But that, of course, is the wild, hallucinogenic uh, world of infinite choice that comes uh, out of the Internet, as opposed to a newspaper used to have editors that were hopefully operating on standards of journalistic ethics that got information to you that had gone through a series of uh, checks so that there was at least some hope that we were usually getting uh, something that, uh, that was close to true. Uh, when one goes onto the Internet and simply does a search for a uh, certain subject, you're not getting that kind of uh, edit, editorial rigor.
Professor Robert Thompson is our guest. He is an American educator and media scholar. If you have a question in the remaining moments that we have left with Professor Thompson, 84126 is a Royal Banks of Missouri tax line. He is trustee professor of television and popular culture at the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse and the founding director of the Blyer Center for Television and Popular Culture. Um, is this happening overseas? Are you seeing it to this extent overseas, Professor? Well, every, I mean, I think all, uh, any operation or any uh, uh, culture that, in fact, journalism is sponsored essentially still by advertising. That's what we uh, uh, we do. We've got uh, philanthropy now k- uh, kicking in more. Um, this is going to be the case. So, yes, across, it, global, the various changes that have uh, uh, come from new technologies uh, and manifest themselves in all of these different ways in journalism is simply is not simply unique uh, to us. We have our own American inflection on, uh, you know, disinformation and uh, all of that kind of thing. Uh, some of that is a little culturally specific, but um, journalism as a profession is challenged in a lot of uh, different ways. And yes, it is a profession. Yes, people do make a living uh, doing it. But it is a unique and special calling with, I think, a unique and special place in the, um, uh, the you know, survival of a democracy, to, to get uh, hyperbolic about it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's scary to think that at least you and I are having this conversation. At least we had newspapers to read about the death of newspapers in. Um, right. uh, you, you know, there, there was a place we could read that uh, the L.A. Times just uh, uh, got rid of 20 percent of their uh, news staff after getting rid of 13 percent uh, a few months before. Um the the scary thing is that when the crisis really hits its uh, uh, point of no return, you may be living someplace where there's no way, way to – there's nobody reporting on it. Mm. Do, do you see, Professor, <laughs> any way to reverse this trend? I mean, I, it's all about money, so it seems like it'll keep happening. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not completely uh, uh, hopeless uh, that the death of journalism in its entirety is uh, is inevitable. Uh, I mean, there's no way to reverse the, the changes that have come about by digital technology brought about by the computer low these many uh, uh, decades ago. Um, but there are uh, people trying to make uh, attempts. Philanthropy is one of them. I don't think we should uh, depend upon the entire profession of journalism to be uh, paid for by philanthropists. Uh, proposals of tax credits for organizations that hire reporters, tax credits for advertisers that advertise on there, uh, even uh, proposals that, uh, and this will make a lot of people not happy, uh, that the uh, government do more public service ads. In matter of fact, they become paid advertisers for uh, this. And then, and I think this has the most promise, but it's really, really complicated, making some of this uh, uh some of these resources come from big tech places like google and uh uh, uh facebook or whatever we, we will end up uh, uh, seeing that turn out as making that huge amount of income being generated by them come into uh, some of these operations because let's face it they do depend upon the content of uh, uh, journalistic uh, operations when you do a google search you in fact uh, get a lot of uh, what's left of uh, american journalism including a lot of legacy journalism 
there are overseas. Um, uh, I think even Canada is proposing uh, uh, some of these uh, uh, some of these things. Some of them have gone into effect. That that seems like promising. Uh, complicated. It's going to require doing math, but it seems like uh, one way of uh, figuring out what happened to the income streams of journalism. Where did it go? Who still benefited from it from that? And how can we come up with an equation to uh, balance that out? Um, Jen- I don't know enough math to do that myself, so don't I'm with, I'm with you. Jennifer was on one television station for 40 years, and there are journalists that we never even become acquainted with because they're in and out so quickly. Today, it's like the careers just aren't there. Is is that part of it? Is I, I, We're just trying to find our way in the dark here. Well, you know, that's interesting you point that out because, and again, I think the biggest story here is local. Local journalism is so uh, important. And uh, that story you just told, that, that is so much, that happened around uh, uh, the country where you had anchors. We had a, a Syracuse anchor who uh, uh, just passed a couple of years ago. Uh, he had been on the air not only for over 40 years here, he'd been a co-anchor with his co-anchor for over 30 of, uh, uh, of those. And I think that, not that that makes you a better journalist, but I think we had local journalists at the local paper, at the uh, uh, local um, uh, television station that were really part of the community. They had a, they were vested in that community. They were citizens of the community that they were, uh, that they were covering. And that hasn't completely gone away, uh, but I think we are seeing less and less of that simply because there are fewer and fewer places uh, for those people to have those, uh, uh, those long-term uh, careers. The idea of a slot in a journalistic reporting uh, uh, operation right now that actually allows one person to stay for 40 years is really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, because as we see from these headlines, uh, the positions are falling like 10 pins. So true. From our Royal Banks of Missouri text line, we have a text that just arrived. The news media have two flaws. One, they hate to be criticized. Two, they create trends where none exist. Um, not really sure about that, but the enmity is is, is certainly it, it is it is more personal with the media on behalf of the consumer than I think um, it should be. Well, uh, let's go to that second one, uh, creating trends that uh, uh, don't exist. I'm not sure specifically what the uh, person that uh, uh, texted in meant, but it is true. I mean, I certainly don't want to give the sense that uh, uh, everything the American media does is wonderful, and isn't it too bad that it's now uh, challenged? Uh, I mean, there is, there are uh, things that you you see uh, every day, every minute, practically in the legacy media that is not what we would. Uh, define as what journalism would look like in the best of all uh, possible worlds. Um, the, for, for example, uh, uh, the inability to, to, to seem to cover in any serious way in so many places uh, issues about the uh, environment, for example, probably the biggest uh, uh, overall long-term story uh, of the planet. Um, you know, you compare the serious uh, in-depth in issues about some uh, things like that compared to how much stuff gets covered in legacy media um, uh, uh, of Taylor Swift, for example. Now, not to diss Taylor Swift. I'm, in a, I'm a popular culture professor. I recognize her significance, her importance. 
I have no problem that USA Today hires someone on the Taylor Swift beat. Uh, she's important for a number of different ways. On the other hand, not only did USA Today or Gannett hire uh, uh, someone who did nothing but Taylor Swift, every other media operation also <laughs> reported and talked about uh, uh, a lot uh, at the expense of other things they might have talked about that. And I think that is a uh, uh, that, that may be sort of that trends that don't exist or even covering trends that do but don't need that much coverage. But it gets back to the fact that these things depend on uh, readership and viewership for their uh, revenue streams. Mm-hmm. And y- you go where the attention span is, and that does mean, and American media has been doing this for a long time, a certain degree of pandering. Professor Robert Thompson from Syracuse University, we certainly are glad that you are here, and we hope we can talk to you again very soon. Don't retire. Don't we? Yes, ever. <laughs> I've, I've watched enough uh, productions of King Lear to know how that retirement thing is. Everybody's dead at the end of that play. <laughs> Take Thank care, you. Professor. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. You know, finding the right memory care community for one of your loved ones can be a daunting task. Both Wendy and I have been through this, and it's especially difficult if you are looking for your parents for a place out of town. So may we please suggest Park Provence here in St. Louis. It really does take a village, uh, a village of expert memory care technicians and clinicians, a village of highly skilled nurses and staff for each and every stage of dementia from assisted living to skilled nursing care. And as a skilled nursing memory care community, Park Provence is the trusted, experienced memory care partner for almost 20 years with a well-earned reputation for unparalleled service. So if your loved one uh, decides to live at Park Provence's, at Park Provence, they have a person-centered dementia program and they will be engaged and also safe. There's an advanced security system that allows residents to safely explore all these lush gardens. They have nine courtyards. They have spacious walking paths and well-appointed common areas that will keep people connected with the other people who live there. Park Provence's art and music therapy programs, for example, they are designed to help residents achieve their full potential while bringing a sense of accomplishment, fulfillment, and joy. It is a rare therapy session that doesn't include lots of smiles. So why don't you call Andrew or Michaela at 314-542-2500 to learn more or to schedule a tour. They would love to have you and show you around. If you tell them that Jennifer and Wendy sent you, you will receive a special offer. Our World Banks of Missouri text line, we do love to hear from you. Uh, from the True on Four Media is consumer-driven. And also, thank you for the suggestions about the Amazon cut prevention gloves ordered. We might want to just get like an entire arm cover, <laughs> like a hand. Well, our good friend Aaron Mermelstein, who uh, sat in for Wendy Weiss one day, said he's done the same thing. And he was suggesting this arm sleeve you can buy at CVS so you could take a shower when you have to keep one hand dry. So thank you, Aaron, for that. It, it is a fear that we all have because we all spend time in the kitchen and we all have these little doodads that are designed to make our lives easier. But you you understand industrial accidents when you hear about this kind of thing. Yes. Because just one moment of being 
you know, not present, just one little mm-hmm. tiny millisecond can lead to something that's that's potentially really dangerous. Our colleague Mike Dorsey was reminding me about a scene in The Bear where somebody was cut. I just I don't recall it. But I don't he either. Said we were out. I was out. I couldn't watch it. No, no, we can't. <laughs> um, and we want to thank uh, Professor Robert Thompson. We always get such great text from you when he is on. And I was I was reminded of the importance of journalism, watching the the video of Mark Zuckerberg being yes. grilled yes. by Senator Hawley, who, you know, plenty of people love him, plenty of people hate him. But I don't think I've ever seen Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, the subject of the social network, the movie that was brilliant. Um, I've never seen him perspire. And he was Perspiring. I listened to an ABC News report where the reporter said she has never seen a congressional hearing that like that where he turned. I mean, he was goaded by Josh Hawley, but he turned and apologized to, to the, the families for what they had been through and said nobody should have to go through that. Yes, it was. It was really um, unprecedented for that particular person because he doesn't seem to apologize to his consumers too often. He always looks for a way right. around it. And I, I don't know what the answer is to regulating social media. I, I know there's a Child Safety Act and anything that would work would be great, but I just don't know. And children are so smart. They can take their phones, not give them phones, but that won't matter. But when you when you think about what's what's happening, traditional media not being eclipsed by what's I mean, what's a, a, a proper term? Um, swamped by by social media, you can see how it happens in a boardroom where they're talking about the bottom line. Why are we paying reporters when hey, they're buying right. they're buying it on social media, even though the stories are more often than not not correct. Yeah, so true. Eight four one two six. Is there a solution to this? Very very hard to say. A programming note, every Saturday at 3 here on the Big 550, you can listen to Keep What's Yours. That is a radio show with Jeff Zufall, the chief tax strategist at Capital Advisory Group, and Josh Gilbert from the Heidi Glaus Show. And speaking of taxes, a lot of us will need help with it at this time of year because tax filing day will be here before you know it. Jeff Zufall and his team at Capital Advisory Group can help you with that. If you want to give them a call and you become a client year-round, they'll walk you through the year, especially important for people who run small businesses. They'll keep you abreast of all the changes in the tax codes. They have an entire accounting division. And so when the time comes, you will be prepared. There will be no panic when it comes to tax filing day. 636-394-5524. Look them up online, capitaladvisorygrp.com. Listen in every Saturday at 3 to keep what's yours right here on the Big 550. We are coming up at 10.53, so time to check in with Jay O'Brien, ABC News correspondent from Washington, uh, to tell us more about this bill the House passed to enhance child tax credits. Jay, thank you for joining us. 
Thanks for having me, guys. And it's interesting. I mean, this is something you really don't see every day. This was a bill that was brokered in a deal between a top House Republican and a top Senate Democrat, so it could, in theory, get through both chambers. It gets onto the floor with the support of House Republican leadership because they control anything that goes onto the floor. And then it passes in this kind of bipartisan blowout, more than 350 votes. That's huge. Now, more Democrats supported it than Republicans. And it was put on the floor in a way that Mike Johnson could make sure that Republican hardliners in his own party didn't try to stop the bill before it could get to the floor with procedural methods. But the reality here is that centrists in both parties like this deal. It expands the child tax credit, gives more monies to families with kids and has tax incentives for businesses in it, passes the House. Now it's on its way to the Senate. What are the numbers, Jay, in terms of people impacted by this? And isn't centrist so, night is centrist is such a nice word to hear anymore. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it, we don't say that a lot. And, and, and so the numbers are a little hairy. We still need kind of a CBO readout on it. But from one left leaning um, policy think tank, they estimate you're looking at an impact of 16 million kids and families across the country. Wow. Um, and, and it's huge because you got to think of so the child tax credit. Remember, it's expanded during COVID. Right. And so under the American Rescue Plan and all of the Biden administration's responses to COVID. And so in that child tax credit expansion, when it went away and it wasn't renewed um, after that COVID expansion, when that COVID era expansion wasn't renewed, child poverty went from around 12 percent to 17 percent. So the child tax credit is huge when it comes to combating child poverty. Now, this expansion is not as big as the COVID era expansions, but it's still pretty significant. And again, you're looking at one estimate, at least of 16 million families. And tell us again, there were three tax breaks for businesses. Yeah, so there are tax breaks for businesses that most of them come in the form of supporting research and development for businesses, um, and, you know, different incentives that you can claim and deductions and things of that nature. It was meant to be a sweetener in there for Republicans. There's also affordable housing credits in there as well uh, and disaster relief. So it's a pretty broad bipartisan piece of legislation. Again, it was brokered through um, a, a top appropriator in the House and a top appropriator in the Senate. It's going on to the Senate now. And one more point I should make is that it's wrote in the Senate is a little rockier. There are Republicans who have expressed some skepticism about it, A, because they want to, they say, dig deeper into the deal, despite the fact that it was brokered by a, a senator, although it was a Democrat. Um, and also there are Republicans who have plainly said they are concerned. One, Chuck Grassley made it plain that he believes that this could be construed as a win for President Biden in an election year. And so it's unclear what its road looks like in the Senate, where you need a broad bipartisan basis to pass anything. But certainly it passed the House last night. Has it always been this way? Has it always been this out there, sort of in your face, this um, openness about not wanting this candidate or that party to have a victory this close to an election, Jay? This seems kind of unusual for us dinosaurs. Um, This is something that, it happens a lot, legislation being passed in an election year being considered a win. And so the opposing party sometimes doesn't like to give wins to the White House. That's relatively common. I think one of the things that you might be reacting to is that, A, with social media, you just hear a lot more about what goes on on Capitol Hill. Mm. And B, 
people are a little bit more willingness to say the quiet part out loud on Capitol Hill in a post-Trump uh, or, or current Trump political era, but after the first Trump presidency. So that might be what you're reacting to is things that were maybe backroom conversations. There are lawmakers who are willing to say that a little bit more publicly. Now. You are exactly right. You are exactly right. That's what it is. Jay O'Brien, thank you for joining us from ABC News. We look forward to your future reports. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jay. And we're coming up on Top of the Hour News with Steve Potter and more from ABC. We'll be back with the second hour of the Jennifer and Wendy show after that. This is the Big 550 KTRS St. Louis. Welcome to the second hour of the Jennifer and Wendy show. The World Banks of Missouri text lines open at 84126. And our phone lines are open at 314-931-5877. A little bit later in this hour, we'll chat with Ann Corey of the Kitchen Conservatory about kitchen safety. And if you have any questions for her, please text them in at 84126. Wendy and I were talking about an article we read about the little white lies people have told either their significant others or their parents when they were children just to make them happy. And one that cracked me up is that a guy had a girlfriend who could not stand Dijon mustard. And he had a favorite sauce he made with Dijon mustard all the time. And she asked is there any Dijon mustard in this before I taste it? And he told her there was not. And years later, he keeps making it. She keeps eating it. And he said there's lots of Dijon mustard in it. How did she react? <laughs> She's never found out. And he was anonymous in this article. He's oh. never told her. Well, I read something on social media talking about this absolving yourself because you think you're going to shuffle off the mortal coil, Mm -hmm. a guy who was told that he had something that was terminal told his wife, took that opportunity to clear his conscience with his wife about his philandering over the years. Turns out, not terminal. Not terminal. But their marriage was. But their marriage absolutely was. Why would he do that? That seems so selfish. And there was no explanation other than the, you know, the little blurb on social media. Yeah, let me burden you with this. Yeah, let me burden you. And then ruin our relationship. And while I'm, while I'm checking out, you know, let me, let me even further burden you. I just thought that was the wildest thing I've ever heard of. There's another husband who said he tells his wife the kids are looking more like you every day because he said she spent nine months creating each of them inside her womb, enduring sickness, fatigue, and torture. And then the little ones come out looking like me. <laughs> he said He's so every day, about- every day he tells her the kids are looking more and more like you. Yeah. Well, I, I had that because Maggie looked like I wasn't even in the room when she was conceived. She looked so much like her father, like he had carried. I mean, and then the same thing, oddly enough, has happened with Maggie. Her daughter looks like Jake gave birth to her. I mean, it's almost like there's no there's there. There is obviously some Maggie. But um, yeah, that is that is funny. But the older they get, the more they do kind of tend to look like mom, which is which is nice. I think that would mom. be a white lie that would be hard to get away, you know, get away with because obviously the mother would know, well, they look like you, dude. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. But maybe they grow into it. But like, was your mom, like, would she keep expenditures and, you know, that kind of thing from your dad? You remember when, like, watching I Love Lucy, Lucy would hide things because, and I've never, I mean, I've never worried about, 
You know, I have to massage the spending of money with Fred Mertz because, <laughs> you know, I have to kind of find, take the circuitous route to this is why we really need to pay this kind of money for this, that and the other thing. But, you know, I know there are some women who don't ever tell their husbands what they buy or and I switched a few area rugs the other day. He didn't even notice. Well. So I'm wondering <laughs> if I could get away with it. Of course, if he's listening right now, that takes the zing out of that. But uh, my mom was a stay at home mom until we got to junior high school and my father gave her an allowance to buy the food. She did not buy the food. They called it an allowance back then. Here's young your food allowance. Before, yeah. She bought crystal Christmas trees and stuff for the house. And then my dad would come home and sing, there ain't no food in this house and start dancing. And there was a lot of laughter, but it's like a uh, smoke. What are we going to eat? We could afford it. She just spent it foolishly. And then when she got a job, when we were in junior high and high school, she said, who wants to cook dinner and I'll pay you. So my sister took the job first, but she's an artist and very ADHD and she forgot to cook. I already had a job, so I didn't, I was working after school. Uh, and then my little brother took the job and we started having some great food. <laughs> you know, my mom was not a cook. Wow. So when little brother Randy cooked, that was great. But she was just, uh, you know, I spent the money. I yeah. spent it on it's Christmas, all Christmas trees. <laughs> I wanted something pretty. Oh, I needed something pretty in my right. life. When she got a job, my dad said, I'm just going to give you one bill to pay, the phone bill, because you should have some responsibility. Our phone got disconnected <gasps> all the time because she forgot to pay it. So she had the money. She would just forget to pay it. Yeah. Once she got her own job and he wanted her to be responsible, he said, the phone bill is your responsibility. Now, she did take us on lovely family vacations every year with her money that she made. And she made all the decisions. But that, this awesome. was before cell phones, people. <laughs> Pick yeah. up the phone, go, smoke. Did you pay the bill? Did you forget to pay the bill again? She Gosh, like, that's awesome. Oh, there was a sale on, yeah. you know. Christmas trees. <laughs> Christmas made, china. Yeah. <laughs> that's much more important than right. nutrition. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, that sounds like a lot. I mean, a lot of people. Um, have very different ways of, of looking at things. And I was just sitting here. You reminded me that when I was in college, I still worked. I worked at uh, the Ramada Inn Westport, which is the, I believe it's a comfort inn now. Every time I drive by it, I, you know, have these memories. But we had a food allowance when you worked in the restaurant. So it, being at college and, you know, I wouldn't go home all the time just because they lived in St. Louis County and I was, so it wasn't like I went home every night for dinner, but that was wonderful. And I don't know if restaurants still do that anymore where they let the employees eat, eat. I mean, there was a limit. You couldn't have a sirloin steak or a lobster tail, but you could have like a, a burger and I would get a potato and I know, re yeah, when, remember when I worked at Steak and Ale in Toledo in 1971, we were allowed to have anything except the steak and the Jamocha shakes. Exactly. Guess what everybody wanted? Jamocha shakes. <laughs> and the steaks. And the steaks, of course. Of and if course. it was left over, we devoured it. Oh, uh, nothing I, about germs or somebody else's food. It's just like, oh, look, they didn't even charge their food. Let's eat it. Oh, no. We never worried about <laughs> bacteria no. or anything like that. From the 314, <laughs> thank you. They say, I so enjoy listening to the two of you. You always make me laugh. That is very, very sweet. Um, somebody was saying uh, in the from 217, speaking of injuries for the 11 o'clock hour, if you go to YouTube and search ruptured Achilles Olympic trials, 
I ruptured my Achilles trying to do a front flip diving into a swimming pool. How do you do that? Turn up the volume. My daughter thought the dive was just an epic failure. I'm afraid that might be. Are we being set up? I don't know if I can even go I, I and can't. look at it. Yeah, I can't. Well, the Joe Theismann footage, I can't. I, 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 can't I, will, I will run right out of the mm-hmm. room. Um, what year was that when he was with the Redskins and that hideous leg injury? I don't know. I just know I could not look oh. at it. And I've known someone who had an Achilles injury and... Um, that is very painful. Jennifer, did your mom get rid of stuff or did it accumulate? Oh, it accumulated. It accumulated. Believe you me. But that, again, that was nobody, the day, right? Nobody talked about clutter back then. Um, and nobody, my parents, right, they did downsize to a condo in Florida and they lived on a sailboat for years, but it was still my job after my mom passed away to go through it. it. Move my dad and go through all the stuff. Which is probably why you are so committed to being clutter-free today. No, it's because I was a sick collector for decades. (laughs) No, I I had 40 cake pans. Well, this is just a passionate baker. (laughs) It's all in how you wordsmith things, that's all. I don't really think I could be considered a minimalist, but I don't like stuff to pile up in closets. They're actually calling it maximalism now. Have you yes. seen that? Yes. And apparently it has everything to do with molding. Like you, you're supposed to have molding on everything. Like and layers and layers of beautiful things. Everything. Yeah. Uh, from the 618, my first job was a Dairy Queen. After I left, I couldn't eat it for 10 years. I hear you on that because I also, the year, the summer I worked at Steak and Ale, I also worked at Pizza Hut. Oh, I get that. And I was allowed to bring home a pizza every night for my brothers. And after, really after about two weeks, they were like, we don't want it. Wow. We're sick of it. I'm like, what? You'd rather have smokes cooking? How could you? (laughs) Yeah. If she cooked. Have it your way. Eat a crystal Christmas tree, right? (laughs) Um, Tell my daughter it's all how you word things, Wendy. What? Did you read this about the family meal at restaurants? Uh, Some restaurants do family meal. Oh. At three before That's in the bear. Right. And Christina Tosi, who is this baker from the Midwest who worked at David Chang's restaurant, always talked about the family meal because she would bake cookies for them. And she went on to have a wow. string of bakeries and cookbooks. I, I see what the texture means. I tell my I tell my daughter that it's all how you word things. And that's it's not what you say. What they're saying is it's Tone. not what you say. It's how you say it. Yes. I have. That is one thing I have discovered after 37 years. Tone. Right. Yes. And it's not that we have any problem with our tone. It's the receiver of the message. Correct. (laughs) Like if I say, pick up your socks. I mean, it's just, it's, it's all, it's all a matter of that. uh, Pick up your socks. Pick Pick up up your socks socks. as opposed to, darling, would you mind picking (laughs) up your socks? As opposed to snarling, I think, yeah, that works. Right. Love to hear from you. 84126. You know, the Better Business Bureau here in St. Louis, it's such a great resource for consumers, for business owners, and I think for the whole community. They've been verifying the credibility of companies for over 100 years. So the deal is, if you're looking for a company you can trust or a contractor you can trust, start by going to their website, bbb.org. Their mission is to create an ethical workplace. And the staff works really hard to keep this list of businesses and brands and charities that you can trust. They'll work with you too. Whether you need to file a complaint, post a review, or report a scam, 
the Better Business Bureau will help you. You can also get project estimates from reputable businesses, so you'll have an idea of what a fair price is if you want to redo your bathroom or any other home project even before you start shopping around. And if you've come across anything that sounds like a scam, let the Better Business Bureau know. They will investigate. You can give them a call at 314-645-3300 or check them out online. Easy to remember, bbb.org. Since you took your love away. Your favorite and ours... Mike from Accounting is on line one. We were talking about injuries earlier, and I think he has one to report. Mike, thank you for calling in. Well, good morning. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to be okay with this story, Mike? This... It's pretty cringy, but, uh, I mean, if we can survive the Jennifer and Mandolin story, I think we can I guess survive you're, this. You're as long right. as as long as the audience isn't like a real visceral, like they're imagining it happening, I think we'll be okay. Okay, You're try right. to keep it as sanitized as you can. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so uh, a little over a decade ago, Melissa and I were running the uh, special events business that does the invitations and ceremony programs. And as a result, around the house slash office, we didn't have just like normal paper. We had the thick, luxurious like 32 pounds, uh, just barely get through the printer, paper. And I would use that as uh, the paper for the reports we'd print out and talk about the finances and make important decisions. Uh-oh. I kind uh, of The second right. part of this is, yeah, as you know, uh, I'm fully committed to the microphone accounting bit, so I have really thick glasses. And as anyone that wears glasses frankly knows, they slide down the nose regularly, and one of the – resulting reflexes that you have is you just kind of absentmindedly push back up and go about your day. This particular morning, Melissa and I were talking about something. I had the reports out. We, you know, this, that, made our decision. I folded up the paper and, uh, you know, we just kept talking. The glasses slid down. I pushed them up with the hand that had the folded cardstock paper. And so I, I excel at a few things, but sometimes self-awareness and common sense isn't one of them. Uh, the corner of those papers went right into underneath the glasses and into the eye, resulting in a paper cut across the eyeball. Oh, okay. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to leave the studio. Okay, you win. <laughs> yeah. Game over. So, My game over. Now. I feel lucky now. Game over. Yeah, it, it, it was one of those decisions where all of a sudden, the second it happened. I realized the, uh, the the size of the mistake I'd made, and uh, I, what I didn't realize though was how long that would actually take to recover from. It was probably visits with the doctors. There was no surgery involved, but one of the things I didn't know is when you have an injury across the eye and it's relatively easy to handle, they actually make a, uh, a contact lens that is a bandage, and like as soon as that goes in, like instantly. Uh, the, the sensation was, can only be described as like when you have an eyelash in your eye, but probably like four or five more times more intense than that. Oh, oh. I did it. I mean, I hate to ask this question, but I have to. Did it bleed? No. Okay. No. Other I, than the like, you know, obviously the the red irritation. Like looking at it, uh, just just looking at it without uh, any specialty tools, it just looked like a red irritated eye. Wow. Uh, but it was just like a, almost like 
microscopic cuts across the cornea. Oh, oh, oh yeah, it wasn't just one. It was like because it was folded paper, like a few of the sheets oh, went through oh, and did oh, it. Oh, 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 oh. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This yeah, is a story win. I couldn't uh, do in my usual like one or two sentence text. So I don't think it's required <laughs> no, a little bit. Taking up the whole thread. We're so glad you shared that with our listeners who are cringing. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone has an accident on the road while their hair is on end, I'm, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I'm Mike from accounting. God forbid. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks, Mike. Hey, if I can spread uh, pain, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> oh. You are you are to be counted on. Thanks, from, Mike, and keep those texts coming. From the 618, I'm going to have to hit rewind because I called the tail end of what you said about cuts. Last night I had a really bad paper cut on the hand, um, on my right hand or what whatever hand I use most uh, dominantly. It's crazy how germs get in your system. And then they go on to say... This is why I'm reading it. I've been spraying hydrogen spraying it with hydrogen peroxide and alcohol. It's just crazy how germs get into your system. I have always, when the kids were little tiny, because this is what my mom and dad did, hydrogen peroxide, just the bubbles alone, at least gave you the impression that if you had any kind of a scraped knee, that it was getting clean and that you wouldn't have. But now if you read, if you Google that today... It is the end of the universe as we know it if you put hydrogen peroxide on a cut. Don't do it. it. Don't do it. I, I'm I'm still doing it. I mean, don't tell the CDC. I mean, in urgent care, they used some saline solution after they put lidocaine cream on mine so they could wash it. But but what's wrong with hydrogen peroxide? I don't know. Yeah, it's 84126. We didn't do very well in math or I know. science. And, and the thing is, I mean, I was a runner in my teens and my 20s and my 30s, and as many runners will tell you, I, you know, you lose a toenail from time to time. It's it's not that big a deal. But fingers, oh, you've said this is the second. This is the second nail that you've lost. Well, back in my thirties, when I wore those acrylic fingernails, oh, one yeah. got infected, and I had to go to the ER on a Memorial Day, a work day, and they called in a surgeon. He removed the fingernail, and it grew back. My best nail. I don't have good nails, but you know I. I'm getting rid of the mantle. <laughs> yeah. People are texting me. You know how Jackie Onassis used to wear gloves? You might just want to look <laughs> into that. You could be the woman who wear who wears gloves. Well, I'll tell you. Coming up next, we're going to chat with Ann Corey from the Kitchen Conservatory because we don't want any of you to have these accidents. No, we do not. And um, when it comes to safety and, uh, and accident-free... Um, at Miller Furniture, they have professional delivery drivers deliver your furniture. So that's one lovely thing you can check off of your list of things to worry worry about. Um, we are always so delighted to tell you about the the family Miller Furniture, the Miller Furniture family. They are a fourth generation family owned business. Their flagship location is in Belleville, Illinois. Everybody knows where that one is. The location in Lake St. Louis at the Meadows Shopping Center. Everybody knows where that one is. It's so easy to see uh, there in that beautiful shopping center. Ellisville off of Manchester, another easy, convenient location. And then their new second Metro East location in Fairview Heights. Do you know how good you have to be to stay in business any business for almost 100 years because they are coming up on that anniversary. You have to be flawless to stay in business. 
that long, and they are so proud of their reputation. And you can save during their largest sale of the year. It's the half-price sale. Yes, I'm going to say that again, repeat it for emphasis, the half-price sale. It is happening right now where you save half off their list price on all in-stock furniture and select custom orders. But do not dilly-dally because you can save on over $6 million of inventory, but only until February 20th. For a limited time, you can also take 50% off select floor model mattresses or receive a free adjustable base with your purchase of a special order Chatham & Wells mattress. And sleep is the new luxury experience when you go and try these wonderful products, these mattresses, and then the adjustable bases that they have for them at Miller Furniture. That new 55,000-square-foot showroom in Fairview Heights is now open. It's like a small country of furniture. This location has all of the same Miller Furniture quality brands while also featuring the largest luxury mattress gallery and premium clearance section in St. Louis in the Metro East. Visit Miller Furniture, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, furniture.com to see their selection and learn more. You will love your furniture from Miller Furniture. Welcome back to the Jennifer and Wendy Show. We are chatting with good friend of the show, Ann Corey from the Kitchen Conservatory. And in case you haven't noticed, the Kitchen Conservatory has moved from Clayton to 9011 Manchester Road. Ann, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you, Jennifer. I have taken your classes. I have seen you make croissants and make it look so easy. You're such a pro in the kitchen. Tell the truth. Have you ever cut yourself and how bad was it? Yes, of course I've cut myself. Knives do slip, or usually people cut themselves doing something dumb. Uh, that uh, you, you know, not with a knife, but hitting something the wrong way. Or, or um, one one way that people tend to cut themselves is that their knives are loose in the drawer, and they put their hand in the drawer, and they they um, they nick themselves on the sharp edge that's turned up. You have to be very careful with knives. Yeah, you know, it, I, I think it bears repeating, and we all are so comfortable in our kitchens, and I think that comfort level causes us occasionally to take little naps when our eyes are open. You know what I mean? We need to focus more on that kind of safety and always be familiar with all of the different ways that we can hurt ourselves in the kitchen. Well, here's what I always tell people is vegetables are usually round, so you want to get it on a flat surface. You cut it in half and you put it on the flat side down so the vegetable doesn't roll. It's stable. And then there's another uh, rule I have in the kitchen, Wendy. The last half inch of the vegetable is not as valuable as your fingertip. Throw the vegetable away. That's a needlepoint pillow, Anne. If you if, if you sell that at the kitchen conservatory, we will we will buy them out. That's and such a great saying. What do you think? I've seen Nigella Lawson on when I used to watch her TV show use a mezzaluna. It's a knife with a curved blade, and you hang there. There's a handle on each side. Do you do you think that is safer than regular knives? No. We do sell the mezzaluna, and the knives are up. I mean, the hands are up on the handles. However, mezzaluna is not great for chopping everything. It has its usefulness. I think people like to use it to make a chopped salad. 
but uh, but you really need a good chef's knife for your general, you know, 80% of your kitchen work. You're going to be using a knife that will rock. And I, one of my other caveats is a sharp knife is a safe knife because if your knife is dull, it will slip on the onion. How often do we have to sharpen our knives, and what is the best way? I know that local, some local grocery stores used to do it if you drop them off. I don't know if they do anymore. Well, Kitchen Conservatory offers knife sharpening. We do it $5 a knife, 24-hour turnaround, and we use a water-cooled stone wheel with an with a guide so that we can maintain the correct angle for your knife. And um, I recommend for most people twice a year to put a new edge on your knife. Now, in between that, you can use what's called a honer, uh, the steels that you see the chefs use on TV. And the steel maintains the edge between sharpening. But you have to know how to do it correctly. Well, we teach that, and we have a knife skills class on March 28th at 630. I call it (laughs) whack the knife. (laughs) That is amazing. Is Is there something in the kitchen that the rest of us, we don't see that it can be dangerous, but it can be dangerous? Have you ever heard of anything like that, Anne? Well, I think I'm more likely to burn myself than I am to cut myself. I mean, things are hot and things are sharp in the kitchen. And whenever you're in the kitchen, if there's somebody else in the kitchen, you want to be very aware of the other person in the kitchen. Because I think the worst accidents I've seen are when somebody bumps somebody else in the kitchen. Mm. Yes. Yes. And one of our texters is asking the question, Is it important to preheat the oven for baking or roasting when the recipe calls for it? This seems obvious to me, but, Conrad, what was your take on this? I I do tend to just put it in while it's preheating because I'm lazy. I don't want to come back. (laughs) It's a mistake. Tell us. Tell tell us why. why It's a mistake. Um, the, The modern ovens preheat by turning on all the elements, including the broiler. If you put your food in while it's still preheating, chances are the broiler element is on and your food will be immediately burned. Wow. Okay. Uh, Here's something I run into all the time. I love to roast broccoli. We eat it all the time. It does not hold its heat once you take it out of the oven and serve it. So the more surface area a uh, a food has, the more quickly it will dissipate the heat. And that's why noodles cool off faster than mashed potatoes. Wow. You so so it, and, and broccoli has a lot of surface area on it, so it's always going to cool off fast. Oh, okay. You are absolutely now, brilliant with your casserole cap- will stay hot. Right. Because it's, yes, smooshed in with all that gooey stuff. <clears throat> and I, I'm considering breaking up with my mandolin. Is there an I'm surprised Mark alternative? hasn't thrown it in the trash yet. Mark, finish the meal. No, no, mandolins are wonderful. And here's why mandolins are wonderful. It's a slicer, and every slice of the vegetable is exactly the same thickness when you use a mandolin. And that means... Food cut the same size cooks at the same rate. So I think a mandolin is essential for a dish like French onion soup, where you want the, your paper-thin slices of onion to all be the same. And my knife skills are not good enough as a mandolin. A mandolin will do the job for me. But I go back to my caveat, the last half inch of the vegetable is not as valuable as your fingertip. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Don't you wish you had had this? Here, hold on, Jennifer. <laughs> we have a little um, um, steel mesh glove that you can put on your hand to protect your hand, um, the opposite hand that you're using, whether if you're right-handed, then your left hand if you're cutting on the board. But if you're using a mandolin, then you'd put the glove on your right hand. I'll that sounds in. like a knight in shining armor. <laughs> steel mesh. Yes. Okay, so it, so the mandolin cannot get through that. Right. Okay. Well, at least provides a barrier of protection. Right, because I looked at these. I, I had bought this other pair of gloves for my friend Jean that were cut gloves, but they didn't look like they would work very well, and they didn't fit her. So, you know, those were sitting in the drawer when I was using the mandolin. And we have another te- we have another text for you, Anne. I recently heard that your oven should be on for thirty minutes to make sure it is at full temp. Do you agree with that? I've also heard to heat a pan for five minutes prior to using. Again, do you do do you agree? I respect your opinion. So there are a couple of issues on that. Ovens can vary on their preheat setting, and that's why these newer ovens with the fast preheat, um, they're designed to heat up much faster than 30 minutes, but that's because they use all their elements, including broil, in order to get to temperature very quickly. Um, And older ovens, it, it will probably take 30 minutes to preheat because it's not using all the elements in the oven. Um, whether or not you preheat your pan before uh, filling it and baking it depends on what you're making. And a great example of that is pizza. The best pizza goes on, the dough goes on a pizza stone that has been preheated in the oven at 550 degrees. So the stone is 550 degrees and the oven is 550 degrees. And then you slide your pizza onto that hot stone. Mm. This is great advice. It is. And, Corey, the Kitchen Conservatory has moved to 9011 Manchester Road. That's Brentwood, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, what is your website in case some of our listeners would like to sign up for the knife skills class so they don't run into She's this situation? She's asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. I, the, um, the web address is kitchenconservatory.com. And, Jennifer, we'd love to have you take this class because we can always brush up your skills in the kitchen. Um, I'm not healed yet. <laughs> I can't even hold a knife yet, but believe you me, Ann Corey, I need to be there. Thank you so much for joining us. Congrats on your new store, and thanks for all the advice. Thank you, Ann. You're welcome. We want to tell you about McKnight Place Assisted Living and Memory Care. It's part of the Gatesworth tradition of excellence in senior living. And choosing an assisted living and memory care uh, place is is quite the task. I have um, I, I have so I have several people um, in my in my life in my circle people I care very much about. They have had uh, loved ones cared for at the McKnight Place Assisted Living. Uh, center and the staff, uh, each and every every family um, says the same thing that the staff becomes family, and that I, I just always thought that was the neatest thing in the world to hear because you want somebody uh, who feels that close to your family taking care of somebody that you love. Uh, the employees are committed to personal well being and satisfaction for residents. Plus, as much day-to-day happiness as possible, and boy, oh boy, does it show. They have apartments tailored for each person who lives there, and they're all-inclusive amenities. So McKnight Place Assisted Living has 
beautifully landscaped gardens, outdoor spaces, walking paths. They're all-inclusive services, plus amenities like a theater, an art room, a greenhouse, and much, much more. At McKnight Place, assisted living features the beautifully landscaped gardens, the outdoor spaces, the walking paths, and a wide variety of social and learning opportunities. So give Leslie, Kelly, or Gretchen a call today. You can schedule a tour. Just call 314-993-3333. That's 314-993-3333. Tell them Jennifer and Wendy sent you, and you'll get a special offer. Jennifer and Wendy's Song of the Day. On the Big 550. KTRS. On this day in 2007, forced to do a press conference to promote his upcoming Super Bowl halftime show, Prince and his band entered the Miami Beach Media Center, Conference Room C. Prince says to the media, and you're about to hear this because we'll play the clip, contrary to rumor, I'd like to take a few questions now. And then a reporter starts to say, Prince, how do you feel about... But before the reporter even finishes his question, Prince and his band launch into a six-minute performance of this song, Get on the Boat. It's part of the press conference that you're about to hear and part of the song. Uh, Contrary to rumor, uh, I'd like to take a few questions right now. Before he gets to the words, but the press corps is just sitting there stunned. I mean, it has to be the best press conference ever, and everybody, <laughs> but I mean, Super Bowl watchers oh, remember him yes. singing uh, Purple, rain, Purple in the rain. rain in the Rain. Yeah. What I did not know is that they spent two months rehearsing. I knew they spent rehearsal time, and I've told everyone if you go to Super Bowl halftime from the control room, there are probably several different clips of watching the director and, and associate director just make the calls for all the cameras, but I didn't realize it was two months of practice. There is, oh, okay, I wanted to look up the name. Um, you have to watch, because I I was like everybody else when she was younger, Jennifer Lopez. I, You know, I thought, oh, come on. Why are oh. you even bothering getting dressed if you're wearing that? But I, I, I love her so much. I loved her when she was a fly girl. I, I didn't even know her. who she was. Love, love, love her so much. But her documentary about that is called Halftime. And I know we're really limited on time. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's she and Shakira, which was kind of a joke. Oh, I do it remember, took two yeah. two women to headline a Super Bowl, which is just nonsensical in my opinion and the opinions of millions of others. But please watch halftime. Ooh, with Jennifer I want Lopez. to see that. It is good, and it is it is it's Jennifer behind the scenes, and Jennifer not, you know, having it, and Jennifer just the professional. It's it's really good, really really good. I love anything behind the scenes like that. I do too. Uh, Justin is listening. Happy birthday, Justin! You didn't tell us how old you were, are, but we like hearing it. Here's our quote of the day from Nathan Mirvold. And if you don't know who Nathan Mirvold is, he was the chief technology officer at Microsoft, and he took a leave to go to a cooking school. And Bill Gates said to him, you know, what's the deal? Uh, you want to learn to cook? or?" And then he became a photographer, and his photography 
kitchen photography is unbelievable. We went to an art gallery in New Orleans, and all of it. And he's also a cookbook author, Modernist Cuisine: The Art and Science of Cooking. It's a series. I think it's like five or six hundred dollars. But our quote is from Nathan Mirvold: "Cooking is an art, but all art requires knowing something about the techniques and materials." Using modernist techniques, you get more control, and that allows you to be more artistic, not less. Look up Nathan Mirvold, like M-Y-M-I-H-R-V-O-L-D, Nathan Mirvold. And when we were in his... I remember you talking about because you did you talk to him? No, the, oh, cur- I- you know, the curator at this little tiny art gallery said, go ahead and take pictures, because, you know, it was $1,500 for a large photograph. Wow. And then CBS Sunday Morning did a piece on him, which you can probably find on YouTube, showing how he has all these different robots and he would fill up two glasses of wine and then the robots would move in and crash them. And that's when he takes the photograph of wine glasses crashing together and wine spilling out. And it's beautiful. And he had one large poster of cupcakes. It was about $1,500. But the fact that the curator said... You know, go ahead and take photos. He doesn't mind. You can take photos of his artwork and then, you know, put it on a canvas. I didn't feel right about that, even though I wish I had done it now. No, I know what you mean. That would feel like... Like stealing. Yeah. Even though they said it was okay. They, even though they gave you permission. And I think he has another cookbook that's maybe $100. Actually, I was talking to Ann Corey about this and said, you know, now spending $100 on art, highly affordable. So maybe I'll go buy the cookbook. And then tear out some pages, which, you know, I hate to do to a beautiful coffee table book. But hey. And hang it up in the kitchen and look. And Justin is 44 years old. He has cleared up the mystery for us. Happy birthday, 44 years young old. You are a pup, Justin. Now, somebody said we should look up an Ellen segment. Where Jennifer uh, Ellen is piping lines into Jennifer's ears. But she said (laughs) you will probably have an accident. Oh, it is so funny. Where Jennifer Lopez... I don't know if she's the receptionist or she comes in and talks to a receptionist, but she has to say everything it's like candid Ellen. camera. Yes. She used to do that in food. Like she did that with Adele at like a coffee shop or something. And it was hilarious. That is a classic. Definitely look that up. Which I asked Mark this the other day. What is Ellen DeGeneres doing now? I know Counting her, her money. Oh. <laughs> yeah. She's count, she and Portia are counting their okay. money in Ojai, California. All right. She can take her time <laughs> figuring yes. out what she wants to do next. I, so she re, she did stop her show and she's yeah. retired. Yeah, and she, is, I don't think she's retired. She'll be back. Is but Portia just, still acting? I don't think so. I don't think. I mean, they have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, good for them. Yeah, no kidding. Six. <laughs> John I'm Carney so and Julie Buck are up next. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Just to have a laugh or sing a song Seems we just get started And before you know it